From FasterMind.co, this is Converge, the Business of Creativity podcast. I'm Dane Sanders. Converge is a show about that space, that tension between the stuff you make and making money or something valuable from your stuff. The show lives where creativity and business collide, giving all of us the opportunity to rethink how we work and live in the digital economy. You know those moments where you just hit your limit, you realize there is no way little old me is going to be able to pull off all that's in front of me. In my experience, and I've felt that a lot in my career, I realize that most of it is around my inability to make requests or get help or build a team around me or have the right people that are trustworthy enough that I could offload some of those tasks so that I wouldn't experience that level of overwhelm, but instead could be in a growth mindset where I'm envisioning where I could go from here. Well, my guests today are Brian and Shannon Miles, and they are founders of an organization called Belay Solutions. They're an organization that I want to say two things about. One, I'm a customer of, and then two, they happen to be coming to our Go Summit in January. They're supporting us. They're sponsors for the event. But I didn't invite them on the show just because they're sponsors. I invited them on the show because they are the real deal. What they have created is so extraordinary in terms of making the idea of bringing on a virtual assistant or virtual help in general far less challenging than you could ever imagine. And they don't just bring anybody on. They're not just kind of some random algorithm that connects the dots. Instead, they vet out both the customer and they vet out their employees really, really well to make the right fit. And I can say that with full disclosure, it has been a game changer for me and my business. Whether or not you ever go with Belay or not, that's not the point. What matters is that you really reconsider how you're relating with your work and you get the help you need to get to where you say you're going. Brian and Shannon Miles, welcome to Converge. Thank you. Thank you. Thrilled to be here. You guys don't know this necessarily, but you've changed my life, man and woman. <laughs> I am so grateful for Belay Solutions and what you guys have opened my eyes to uh, with my own support and help. But the folks at home might not know Belay Systems. And I'm wondering if you could share not so much with the company, but really your journey in building that company, kind of what drove you, what your motivations were, what were the circumstances that serendipitously put you in a position to be the owner of an amazing outsourcing company, both for assistance and for bookkeeping. I'd just love to hear a little of your journey. Yes. Thank you so much for giving us the chance to share it. Belay has changed our lives too. So I'm right there with you. Yeah, We practice what we preach. We have virtual assistants. <laughs> but yeah, Belay really started about seven years ago in 2010, where Brian and I were both working in different companies. And for various reasons, it became obvious that the season was ending there. And we had this burning desire to start something of our own. We weren't exactly sure what it should be, but we knew at that point, we'd been married for a while, had a couple kids. Like We really wanted to start something when we were in our 30s before it got too late to recover from a, a huge failure if it didn't work, right? So we had the concept of serving, at that point, churches and pastors with virtual assistant services. Mm. It was a model that Brian had experienced in his previous company and knew like what worked and didn't work and knew that that was a very underserved market. So we really kind of launched that in the summer, late summer of 2010. And we're able to validate, okay, there's something here. You know, you had a great network of people who could say, yeah, I think I could benefit from getting an assistant that isn't, you know, somebody within our church. And so on October 1st, which actually happens to be my birthday, <laughs> shameless plug. <laughs> um, I love yeah, that. Shameless I mean, plug, are we sending presents? Oh, that's amazing that you're I my first so guest. Do we need to get an address in the show notes? I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and I did just turn 40 this year. So Congratulations. I feel like... 
a couple of big milestones. Anyway, so yeah, we both went to our employers on that day and gave our notices and took our 401ks and cashed them out and started what is now Belay. It was under different names at that time. And we added the bookkeeping service on shortly after the virtual assistant service and have parlayed both of those beyond the church space into primarily businesses and for-profits. But that's like the genesis. That's the origin story of how Belay came to be. It's interesting to me. It's funny. I think I've shared with a couple of folks in your guys' organization that I actually heard about you in your previous iteration through Mike over at I, yeah Mike Hyatt, right? And Mike's yeah. been on the show years ago and still respect what he has built and done. And he's his is a bit of an empire now, but back then he was a pretty lean operation. And I don't think he could have gotten to where he's gotten without you guys either. Talk a little bit about the culture that we're in right now and why virtual assisting is at a level of maturation. The reason that people should really consider it. The reason I'm asking is I remember, you know, 20 years ago when the internet was just coming on and people would start dating on the internet. And I actually was a resident director. I ran a residence hall at a college with my wife and our first baby. And I remember having students in my hall who would talk about dating people that they met online. And I was just terrified of that idea. Like that just seemed ridiculous. And now it's like, it seems like the only place that people do meet is, you know, through match or something. And I'm still a little scared of that, but I'm guessing that things like a VA or virtual assistant, that too must have matured to a level of sophistication and understanding and that should make people far more open to it if they were skeptical before, like that you had to be with someone in the same town or have to know them, or what if they had access to your information and could take advantage of you? Some of those things that I think you guys hear all the time, could you guys just speak to how our culture, why now is the right time to be thinking about it in a way that maybe it would have been more scary, say, a decade or so before? Sure. Really, the book that put our industry on the map a couple of years before we actually got underway was a book called The 4-Hour Workweek, written by Tim Ferriss. Yeah. And great book, but he basically pointed to services that were out there that we're not. So basically, for example, if you wanted a really inexpensive solution, you could go to the Philippines or India and get that solution in terms of services. And a lot of folks tried that. And it just didn't work for whatever reason. So when we came on the scene in 2010, you know, talking about U.S.-based virtual assistants, and then folks would, you know, talk to our sales team and they'd hear us talk about our what we do and they would go, oh, I hope this is true. Those are what we would call like the early days for us. But I still think that we're in the, in the season of people really still adopting or learning what this could mm-hmm. mean for them. And what I mean by that is this. At a rate of adoption that's there from a technology standpoint, so goes our service. So, for example... Right now, people don't realize that when they are texting or using that, you know, services on their phone or some of their on their computer, that thing is really actually still going to space, literally and back. And when they realize that they're leveraging technology to do normal things like maybe check their voicemail or send a text message that they can take the next leap to say, oh, well, well, I certainly can build a relationship with somebody and they'll do that from a personal standpoint, but they'll hold the line there at a professional standpoint. So the answer to the question or the kind of the, the talk around points for us with this would be if grandma's using Facebook to build a relationship with her grandkids, why can't we build relationships with CEOs and virtual assistants or executive directors or pastors with virtual bookkeepers or webmasters? Like it can completely be done. And we're proving that point every day with our services. And Dane, I think something that's changed too since we started is people are working 
in a virtual capacity more and more. You know, there are so many organizations that are abandoning the office or allowing flexible work schedules and remote working that as that model has become more popular, people can wrap their heads around, okay, so I don't really need to have my assistant right next to me in my physical space. It can still be an effective genuine relationship. You know, I love that you referenced for our work week and that getting all the way to a genuine relationship because I remember those days. In fact, four hour work week, I've told the story a few times on the podcast, but I remember the day I was in Costco walking down the aisle, saw Tim's book, picked it up, held it in my hand and said, if I buy this book, this has to be the last one I buy of these kinds of books. Like I'm so over (laughs) one more kind of vain effort to improve something. And sure enough, I checked out, read the book quickly. It was almost science fiction, the way he was describing the ability to do life, taking advantage of all the things he had researched and some things he had, I'm sure, done full force. Others, I think he probably got halfway there and just started writing about it. I'm not sure. It didn't matter to me because it was just so, (laughs) so inspiring. And it was actually catalytic to me writing my first book, Fast Track Photographer, and self-publishing it with all the resources he talked about. So I'm a huge fan of it. But I do remember in those days trying to call, like setting up jobs in some of those sites you referenced and trying to figure out what do I even need and how do I ask for it? And if I add other friction points like language barriers or just my own fear of mystery of like not knowing, I just, I needed something that was a little bit more with training wheels on it, but still had the same kind of power to get what I needed to get done. Cause I'm a high maintenance guy. Like if I'm, someone's going to work with me, (laughs) they're going to need to be able, we need to navigate nuance. And I have been so impressed with that piece. And I never thought of it as a US-based VA because, but it's true. That's a massive value set, not just because it's employing someone here in the US, but also because just practically it does remove that friction, at least for people like me. Do you find that's a common lament for folks that they need that help on the front end? Yeah, for sure. They totally do. And what's interesting for us is that globally, the United States and the United States work ethic is still very well respected. And so when we had organizations approach us, even international organizations that approached us, they admired the work ethic and acknowledged like, hey, there might be an increased price with this, but we really value that work ethic. So that was something that actually became very rewarding. And then for people here in the States that maybe read for our work week or heard about this concept of a virtual assistant, they were relieved to know that they're actually going to be working with somebody that may be in the Midwest or in the United mm-hmm. States that could be serving them and they could build a dedicated, connected relationship mm-hmm. with. Well, and you mentioned like how scary it can be to trust somebody that you don't see, you know, with some very sensitive information about your personal life or your organization. And I think when you work with an organization that's already vetted those candidates, that has expectations in place, that has oversight into that relationship instead of just a one-off person, I think that creates a whole other level of trust that allows this to work. You know, it is very scary to turn things over, whether you can see somebody or not. You know, these are critical elements to your life. And so the more we can do is belay to alleviate those concerns and break down those barriers and build that trust, the more our clients succeed. It's funny. I love that you're pointing that out because even when, as you're describing that, I was like, that's true of both virtual assistants and regular assistants. That's true with a staff that I would hire up or a team I'd build around me. But it's funny, in my experience, as you guys know, I'm a customer, but as my experience has gone out, the constraint of not having to have, it's kind of a weird way to put it, I like working with friends, I like being around them, by removing some of the preamble, the kind of warm-up conversation that has to happen, I can get right to it and still be relationally connected. It's been weird to experience 
less fear with a VA than I've had with in-person staff before. Is that weird? Because it, it's definitely been my experience. No, it's not. I'll tell you something interesting, yeah. a, a quick story. We have a customer of ours that is a CEO of a very large electrical supply house in the Northeast. They do over a billion dollars a year in sales. Wow. And his assistant, 20 years, retired. And when he approached our organization, he said, my style of work has changed. I don't want a secretary outside my door anymore. I want somebody that understands what it means to work remote, what it means to be agile, to know what it means to work in a flexible environment, because that's the direction I'm headed, not only with myself, but also with other you know, key members of my leadership team. So I think that there's this general push for leaders, regardless of size of organization, whether in a startup or a well-established organization, that they do covet or hunger to work from home in a greater capacity for several reasons. One being efficiency or the ability to focus, but two, just a general desire of autonomy. They want to have more freedom and their day-to-day to produce the result that's expected of them. I'm thinking a lot right now of our friends at home who are listening, these faster minds who are Converge listeners. And many of them are, as I mentioned in our conversations off air, many of them are folks who they could be lean operations where it's just kind of them plus laptop plus you know aspiration all the way up to really interested in scaling beyond themselves. And they have hit some ceilings or some glass ceilings just where they can't go much further. I'd love to talk specifically about some of their felt pain points. So in particular, I'm thinking about like delegating pieces, letting go of their babies in a sense to other folks. And also, I want to get really practical at some point around just pricing because I know depending on the vantage point you take when you look at a VA, it could appear as though it's more expensive to have a VA when in truth, it's radically less expensive than a staff person. But talk about both of those kinds of real friction points for folks that they may not say it up front, but they know they need help, but they're terrified to give it away to anybody because they think they can do it better than anybody else. And then two, how are they going to afford it? Yeah, the the whole conversation, the whole topic around they're the best ones to do the work. There's no one that could do it better than them. That's just a falsehood of leadership. And especially a new leader that's been tasked to do something, they'll see maybe a virtual assistant as a luxury. And that's Frankly, that's a wrong way to look at it if you plan to scale and grow. And that, and I've talked to several people that have like, say, day jobs and they're doing what I call side hustle. They're doing something on the side to try and maybe launch to go do something. And they're afraid to let go of even the, like, the simple low payoff activities because they feel like they're the only ones that can do it or it's a luxury to give that off. And I disagree. And we've seen evidence of where leaders that have basically hit the lid of their personal capacity running their one-person business when they decide to offset or get out of the way of certain tasks, they watch their businesses increase in several times over because they've realized that they need to not only delegate, but then when they delegate, prioritize and help those that are working with them to prioritize those things and their organization scale. It's actually really rewarding to watch that happen. I've got a good friend of mine that's a consultant in St. Louis, and he used our services. And in the early days, he was just doing everything and he was worn out all the time. And so as we cast the vision around what a virtual assistant would be, I could see him thinking, I don't know if I'm going to be able to pull this off. And he trusted us. And today he's increased his revenue three times over. And he's got a really small team of our folks, but he's done really well for himself. And it was just started by him himself in his room at his house in St. Louis. And I think we see that where they leaders have a pile of things they feel like they need to do, but they need to learn how to prioritize. And that's part of actually our service is to teach them the prioritization and how to delegate those things, empower people, you know, a simple thing like, communicate the why over the what, because the why informs everything else when you're not around. And we- Let's say that, say that a little slower, because I want folks at home to really catch the why and the what distinction. Sure. 
let's say you're for the first time, maybe you're delegating to a, a new virtual assistant or to someone that's on your team and you've never, you've never done this before. Instead of saying, here's the 87 things you need to do in sequence to get to this why, what you do instead, you say, look, you're a grown up. Here's the result I need from you. And what happens is when the results known by the person that's actually going to do the work and when you're not around, they're able to fill in the blank because they know where they're pointed to. They know the result that is expected of them. And that's the job of a leader to trust them to basically get out of the way and allow them to execute and then come to you when they have questions, but they know the result. They know the why behind what's being asked of them. And that's a big difference in a lot of people when they're getting started in business or they're starting their new endeavor is they just say, here's the 17 things or the 87 things you got to do never fully articulating the why behind it. And that's, I think that that's the thing that we really encourage our leaders to do is say, start with a why, communicate the why, and then trust an adult to help you produce the result. And where you guys help is your trust agents. I mean, you're trying to, you're vetting out folks that are trustworthy and able to pull that off. Yeah, we spend a lot of time and energy on the front end, making sure that we have people who we would be proud to serve our clients. And that results in a long onboarding process for some of them. That results in a lot of resumes just never getting through. And, and we're okay with that. We would rather us take the burden off of our clients because we know how hard it is to find great people. One thing I'll say about you know the cost that you brought up and the value, I'm guessing a lot of your listeners are visionaries. That's why they started their business. They had an idea, they had a vision, and they're pursuing that. The underpinning of that is like execution and getting stuff done. And if you're growing an organization, it's really hard sometimes for one sole person to be the visionary and the executor. And that's where an assistant comes in and really starts to create legs on that vision and it starts to come to life. And I think the two go hand in hand really well together. And that's where you see growth. One of the things too, let me, I, Shannon, dead on with that. One thing though that I see that's a misstep when someone takes on a relationship with a virtual assistant in the early days is they fail to see the virtual assistant in the right light. Meaning this, a virtual assistant is not just some assistant or some secretary. A virtual assistant, if done right, and the way I treat my virtual assistant, her name is Paige, that I worked with now for five years, the right way to look at her or him is to see them as an extension of who you are as a leader. And then you basically grease the tracks for anybody that would interact with that person as a virtual assistant. So for example, if Paige is calling on my behalf, it's as if Brian is calling. And then what I found too is that I don't see her as just my assistant. I actually see her as my work alongside partner. And when you take that mindset and you apply that to how you can execute as a leader throughout your day to day and the things that are maybe professional or personal, you look at that person in an entirely different way and you communicate them in an entirely different way. So it's as if Brian's doing all these extra things, but it's actually being done through Paige. And when I see a lot of leaders that just, they just kind of treat their assistant like an assistant and they never elevate that person to come alongside them to execute. Yeah. I mean, it would take a high degree of, well, it's kind of what we all want. We all want to grow up a little bit, but this is when you're describing leaders and the way you're describing them and you know trusting people and partnering, seeing a, a someone who maybe you have an, as an employee or someone's working for you to see them as a colleague and to have that level of respect. I mean, that that's how I want to be treated, but it is tough, especially I think when I look back to the earlier days of getting started, I don't know if I had that level of maturity. How do you coach people if you notice that in someone who's contracted and they're kind of stuck with not able to get to that level of trust to really optimize the folks they're investing in? What do you say to those folks to help them get in a better mindset? 
I think there's a couple points that we've seen really work with our clients. One is set proper expectations. Like if you are not clear about what you're expecting, there's a high likelihood that the expectation is not going to be met. So the more you can clarify what the expectation is and communicate that, the more successful the assistant's going to be in delivering on that. I think the second thing is have courageous conversations. A lot of times when we see this not work out, it's because a client is too afraid to coach. They're too afraid to say, hey, let's talk about this situation. There were some things that went well, but here are the things that didn't. And this is how, you know, let's talk about how we can improve next time. Those are often uncomfortable conversations for people to have. But once you start having them, they become just part of how you work together. And the truth is, you know, as smart as our people are, they're not mind readers. (laughs) And so, I mean, the common theme for both of those points is communication. So that's really what we look for too, to see, like, are there some general, like, you know, coaching points around communication that will affect the outcome, regardless of what the project or task is. Yeah, it's funny, those courageous conversations that you're describing is kind of at the heart of what we're trying to accomplish with FasterMind and our Go Summit and really trying both to practice in our own lives, but also invite others to engage at that level. Because you're right, once people start those level of that level of serious conversations without it being so personalized or uh, where people are going to feel like we're shaming people, none of that's happening. It's really a belief in people and inviting them to treat their work with the same level of integrity that we know that they would want to treat it, where we're just helping each other get there. So I, I couldn't share that more on than what you're saying. I am so glad that connects with the community and it goes both ways, right? right. Like the, yeah, whoever you're working with has to be able to say to you, I need more from you or you were really unclear about this and I want to be successful. Let's talk about how we can improve moving forward. Like it goes both ways. And I think, you know, as a society, we're becoming more and more open and transparent and vulnerable. And those are all good things. But then when like the rubber meets the road and it translates into a conversation, it gets a lot harder. Yeah, well, it gets real. <laughs> it gets real. <laughs> I'll be back with the rest of the conversation right after this short break. This episode of Converge is brought to you by White House Custom Color, the most customer-centric photo lab around. They just do it better. If you are a professional in need of any images in print, whcc.com is your answer. Either use them yourself or make sure your photographer does. WHCC.com, the official sponsor of the Business of Creativity podcast. Have you invested in conferences or workshops that left you empty-handed? There was great content and you had great ideas about what to go do with it, but no change actually happened. That's not okay. At Go Summit, we're committed to helping you take action. To do that, we add personalized coaching and customized marching orders alongside the inspiring speakers, amazing location, and fun networking events. Honestly, there's nothing quite like it. Register today before tickets sell out at fastermind.co forward slash go summit. I'm so tired of theory. I'm interested in real. And this is where it shows up, I think, is our ability to have those conversations, not only with the folks that would work for us, but with our customers. Like I get in a lot of dialogue with service professionals who they're talking about, how do I get a lead gen or how do I get a new customer? And at some point they need to mature to a level of how are they choosing the right customers so that they're in alignment with the kinds of ways they want to interact actually 
do good work together. Because it does require, every transaction requires that level of all inness. But it's, I guess, yes, I shouldn't say that. Because I guess if someone's just buying a widget online, you don't need that level of conversation. But especially with service professionals, it sure seems like that becomes an asset when they can get access to that level of fierceness. Yeah, it, uh, and that's actually funny you brought that up. That's a decision that we made early on in the business is that we weren't going to take just any customer. We knew that we wouldn't be the right fit for everybody. So we've decided to be selective in who we partner with too. That's the beauty of being a business owner. You don't have to work for everybody. <laughs> you can work with the people who you think you can add the most value to and who you enjoy partnering I with. got picked. You picked me. I'm so happy. <laughs> <laughs> I made the grade. <laughs> well, I'll keep working on it, folks, and I hope I can hold on. That's really encouraging. Okay, a couple last things I want to make sure that we hit before we run out of time. I've been in some really interesting conversations lately with some thought leaders around megatrends in our world around First, we were all industrial analog, and then we hit this digital dawn and digital revolution, and then the digital age. Most of the folks I'm talking to are referencing the fact that we're not really in the digital age anymore. We're in the post-digital age, where there is this kind of renewed integration of analog and digital, where digital is fantastic. We're leveraging that. But to actually become more human in our physical world, I found that really intriguing. I also heard of some trends around you know, the high end of every market is really exploding, doing very, very well. Uh, the low end, the race to the bottom is largely disappearing. And that middle is kind of eroding unless people can find some distinctives around creating really cool experiences for folks. Are there any, first of all, would you disagree with any of that or give any kind of nuance or counters? Or are there any other trends that you've seen around digital and analog playing well together? Yeah, you know, I think that there's a season still coming ahead where AI has its place in a greater capacity. I think that, you know, as I read articles about what artificial intelligence will do in the workplace in the future, I think that it will, it will continue to evolve as reasoning skills get better in the software and the things that they're doing to try and program that. I get asked this question quite a bit with the media. They're like, you know, will Alexa or Siri replace you as a virtual assistant and the people? And the answer to that, I think, is pretty resounding no, because I just don't think people are going to let robots basically run the world one day. We're not going to let that happen. Now, I know that that sounds so goofy and futuristic, but I do see where there are certain day-to-day tasks that don't require a lot of critical thinking that can be produced in AI today. Mm -hmm. So I think that how we leverage technology is going to evolve and grow, but I also think that it's going to enable us to solve bigger problems in our world Mm -hmm. too. So I think that we'll be able to go deeper and to challenge conventional wisdom as it relates to getting at problems and how we tackle them, because we'll be able to leverage a baseline foundation of technology that's there with it. I love that. I was in a conversation. It was such a privilege. I was visiting with Seth Godin, and he invited me on his Facebook Live, where I was actually sitting next to him in the Facebook Live, which was surreal. But we were in this exact conversation around how... Like we're talking specifically as a metaphor to photography, uh, which is my background, where, you know, when digital happened, it felt like at the very beginning, everyone was racing to kind of discover a digital trick or tip or shortcut that they could hold up and they'd have an unfair advantage when they found it first. But of course, everyone found it a second later and it no longer became special. It was like, well, everyone had access to it. And when I think of like Siri or Alexa or even better uses of these things, there's a sense in which those digital tricks are cool. But I was always surprised in the photo world why people were satisfied with just having that trick as opposed to being able to stand on the shoulder of that trick 
and do something new or creative with it. And it seems like that's where the advantage is, is the ability to leverage what everyone will increasingly have access to, but do it in a way where we're able to put a new twist or spin on it and go someplace new. And Seth was super encouraging on that because he felt the same way. And he's somebody, I think, who does this so consistently. He's wise enough to pay attention to what's happening, but isn't satisfied with all of a sudden that thing can do it. He wants to go somewhere that's surprising. Is there something in that conversation that you guys could comment on that resonates with you that you'd like to see more owners take advantage of? You know, I think it's really funny. Yesterday, our son pulled out his Polaroid camera to take a picture of some. He's got an iPad. He has a digital camera, but he wanted to touch that Polaroid. And I think as people, like there's still something nostalgic that we connect with. That's why record players have made a comeback. But it's all enhanced by the advancements that we've made. But I I still think there's some anchors, some tangible things that we always want to go back to as humans. And I think in our space, that's connecting with people. That's not just relying on technology and technological advances to be more productive, to go, 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 go. It's still like, no, but you still are here as a human to connect with other human beings. And yeah, it may look a little different now than it did 10 years ago. And it'll probably look different five years from now. But the importance of seeing somebody's face and hearing somebody's voice and knowing about them as a person, I don't think that's going to go away. Well, again, it's one of the things I love about my VA is it's a both and. Like I may not have a chance to be shoulder to shoulder, but we're on Zoom calls and we're actually – I'm sensitive to her physical life and my physical life is being sensitive. She's being sensitive to that as well. And there's a sense of the end game, the why that you were talking about earlier, Brian, that – that's why we're doing all this stuff is to get to a place where there's greater human flourishing and greater kind of moving forward. It's not just about getting lost in how do we get more widgets produced or people through the door. And those are the folks that, again, in our community, we love curating around us because I think you're right. I think what your son stumbled into is really wise. There's a great little book, by the way, David Sachs wrote a book called The Revenge of Analog that came out, I don't know, a year or so ago. It talked very much about these exact things, about Polaroid, about vinyl, about even things like retail and print. Like There's things that people want, but there's better ways to do that because we have these powerful tools at our disposal. And that's what I think you guys do better than almost anyone I've ever heard in the planet. And you're growing with that world, and I, I couldn't be more grateful. Hey, real last thing, you guys are participating with the Go Summit, our conference in January. We're so honored that you are interested in what we're doing and excited about it. I'm I'm curious, why are you excited about it? Like, what is it about our really modest community that we're bringing together? Why would you get behind and support that effort? I think for us, well, first off, we're thrilled to be part of it as well. And we're grateful for you also as a customer. And I hope that you feel that way for sure. I do. But, you know, for us, you know, we have a desire to see organizations grow. Shannon and I were once in the seat of, you know, a startup. We understand what it means to have something deep in your belly and go after it. And so as founders of a business and now built an organization that has grown way faster than we ever dreamed, we realized that we're in a position to basically help those climb high. And that's, you know, that's our name, Belay. As if you're familiar with rock climbing, the belayer is somebody that sits in a support role to the climber. The climber is actually the hero. The climber is the one that achieves the summit and we're there to witness that. And so we'd like to, with our events or where we spend our marketing dollars, put ourselves in a posture where we're helping others achieve what they're trying to accomplish. I was so mad when I saw Belay Solutions and the metaphor is so good. (laughs) I was like, this is, you won, man. You know, mic drop. Well done. (laughs) 
But uh, at the same time, beyond the affirmation, that is what you guys model. And it's, we are the benefactors. I'm so excited to expose our community to you guys in greater and greater ways. And if you're at home and you're thinking like, hey, this is really intriguing, there's a couple avenues for you guys. One is when you come out to the Ghost Summit, you can talk and connect and hear more and get some of your questions answered directly. You also don't need to wait for that. You could right now check out Belay Solutions. We'll put a link in the show notes at fastermind.com dot co forward slash podcast and you'll be able to see specifically ways that you can take advantage of it and we're also going to throw in some fun resources that regardless of whether you get a va or you take advantage of it some really helpful tips and tricks that you can take advantage of right now with your existing team and really go further i have a hunch so it's kind of like remodeling the bathroom in your house once you get started it's hard to stop your bathroom looks great and all of a sudden you want to improve your kitchen and you'll keep going and that's what we're trying to incentivize is we want to get you guys to not just be okay with what is is, but to imagine what could be. And if Belay is a way to get you there, I sure hope you follow my deed and take advantage of it. So Brian and Shannon Mouse, thank you so much for being here. And thank you, so grateful for our new, but also real growing relationship. Really respect you guys. And likewise, I'm grateful for you too. This was episode 11, season three of Converge, the Business of Creativity podcast. Converge podcast is brought to you by Fastermind.co, where we help entrepreneurs go from knowing to doing. Get started free today by finding out your Fastermind owner score. Go to fastermind.co. Music for this episode provided by triplescoopmusic.com. What does your story sound like? This episode was mixed and produced by Podcast Fast Track. <laughs>